This is the Adoptive Mom Podcast. Adoption may look different for each family, but we need solidarity from other crazy people who took this leap. And that is what we do here. We encourage, we build up, we share the wins and losses. We lean on each other and we get through this together. Thanks for joining us. and welcome back to the Adoptive Mom Podcast. My name is Alex Fitton, and I am here today to wish you guys a happy birth Mother's Day. This coming Saturday is the day that we as adoptive mamas get to remember, honor, and pay tribute to the incredible women that brought our children into this world. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you and happy birth Mother's Day. You can find me on Facebook at Alex Fitton and the Adoptive Mom Podcast and on Instagram at the Adoptive Mom. Okay, guys, this is season six, episode 12, or 90 in all. So every season of the show, I do a birth mother's episode highlighting an amazing story of strength, resilience, and courage in the decision to place a child for adoption. And this season is no different. Today, I'm bringing you guys an interview with author and influencer Shante Dent. She is the founder and CEO of Earnest Love Incorporated, an organization dedicated to helping women heal from emotional trauma. Her story of pain, forgiveness, and love consists of layers of healing, including the deeply buried emotional wounds of sexual violation and the pregnancy that followed. She embraces her story and shares how her sour lemons in life can become sweet lemonade. Shantae is a former rape crisis counselor who received her bachelor's of science degree in sociology from California State University, East Bay. She currently volunteers as a member of the RAIN Speakers Bureau, and she also volunteers her time to support birth mothers during and after the adoption process. And that is a long, long resume, you guys. So I am so excited for you to listen in on this incredible woman's story. But first, I want to have a DTR with you. And for those of you who did not grow up in youth group culture and don't know what DTR is, it means define the relationship. So are we in like a casual, you listen occasionally relationship, or are we in a committed, you are subscribed to everything relationship? I would love it if it's the latter. And if you would take it to the next level and hit that subscribe button wherever you listen so that new episodes of the show download straight to your device. And so you never have to miss a thing. And with that very odd metaphor, on to my interview with Shantae Depp. All right, everyone, welcome to the Adoptive Mom Podcast, and I am very excited to introduce you to my guest today. Um, welcome to the show, Shantae. Hello, thank you. Um, yeah, take a second and just tell us about you, introduce us to you and your family and just all the stuff. All right, well, hey, everyone, I'm Shantae. I am, gosh, just, a, I like to say personal personality-wise, I'm a big Bubble, bubbly personality, just a person who truly enjoys life. And to the best of my ability, just I really try to find like the positive things in life. I'm a lover of nature. I'm a wife. I'm a mom. Been married for 14 years now. Wow. And my, yeah. It's, and it goes by quickly. People say that and you're like, really? Does it really? And it does. It goes by quickly. And my husband and I have two wonderful opposite end children, like night and day, and they keep us on our toes. Our daughter is eight years old and she's a social butterfly like mom. And our son, he's 10 and he's the logical one, like dad. <laughs> but we, um, you know, have our little family. We do our best to enjoy life. And again, just thankful for each other, thankful for life. I am just that individual who truly does her best, I'll say. I do my best to help individuals. How can I help enhance someone else's life? I know what I've gone through and I know, um, you know, we all need some help and encouragement. So I feel like that's what I'm here for, to put a smile on someone's face and, uh, you know, just help them enjoy life as I do. That's awesome. And okay, so first of all, there's no way you've been married for 14 years because you look like you're like 22. (laughs) I look 14. I know. So here's the deal. I will be 40 this year. No way. No, you are lying to me. I'm super excited because I'm going to be 40 in 2020. Like that's 
amazing. And I'm excited because I get that all the time. People always look at me and say, nope, you don't have kids that age. Nope, you're, you're not, you haven't been married that long. Yeah, I have. So I am that woman who actually looks forward to maturing in her looks. <laughs> Man, I would hold on to that. I would never, ever have guessed 40, ever. Oh yes, yes, yes. You guys listening, I know that you can, I, I can see her because we're talking on Skype, but if, like, go look at a picture of this woman. <laughs> also because she's beautiful, that too, but. <laughs> Thank you. Oh my goodness. Okay, so that was my first of all. <laughs> my second of all, so you, you hinted to the fact that you've been, you know, you know what you've been through and you've been able to use that in your, just your ministry toward other, other women and other, um, survivors such as yourself. And one of my favorite things about meeting people and getting mm -hmm. to know them, um, kind of in the, like after there's like the before and the after. And I can just see, see, just knowing a little bit, a snapshot of your story that you've sent me in emails or that I've seen on social media. And <clears throat> it's, you wouldn't guess that. And I think that that is just such a testimony to the healing that you've been able to go through and what you're able to do for other women. Um, and so I hope that was a good tee up for your story because I want to hear all about it. Absolutely. Yes. And interesting, you make that specific point in terms of, you know, this popular phrase that we hear, like, you don't look like what you've been through. Right. And Believe it or not, I didn't embrace that truth early on. It took some time as I went through a healing process and when the dots were connected and I felt that strong desire to help other women, I did feel like, wait a minute, Shantae, you, you don't look like what you've been through. And, and hey, that's something to rejoice about. And you're absolutely right. That, that definitely speaks of the, the testimony, the storyline. And here it is. So I have yet been through some things. I tell people I haven't been through everything, but I've been through some things. I, oh gosh, from, yeah, the early memories, even when it was uh, me not being able to connect the dots at a young age. You know, when you're a little kid, you, you do your best to have fun, enjoy life. But at the same time, when you've experienced various forms of trauma, deep inside, you kind of know something's off. You know, I, I, I struggle in this area um, and, and something's off. And I, I did know that deep inside. I literally have journals today of when I was eight years old, wow. writing my thoughts, writing my feelings. And I'm like, ooh, you were going through a lot at eight. <laughs> you were only eight. But again, it stemmed from the traumatic experience that, that I've gone, that I went through in my childhood. I was sexually violated, unfortunately, twice as a young girl. And these sexual violations did not last years upon years. One incident was isolated, a one-time violation. Another incident, it was, it happened a few times. And there was a lot of fear if you can imagine, that was embedded in my mind by what I was told by the perpetrator. You know, if you say anything, you will get in trouble. And of course, I look back now and I think how absurd, you know, why would I, the innocent child, get in trouble? But again, that innocent child believing whatever the adults told you or whatever the older, you know, individuals told you was true. So I felt like I could not tell anyone and I kept those secrets hidden in my heart. Uh, but again, this bubbly personality did, she did her best to get through life. Thankfully, I was in a home environment where there was a lot of love. So I feel like in a lot of ways that helped me cope and get through life because I had fun with my sister and brother and I enjoyed my mom and dad. So coming from, you know, a Christian home where there was love, not perfection, but definitely a lot of love. I feel like that was my saving grace to where, again, I may have had some other issues and went through years of wearing masks because I did not know how to deal with my emotional pain. At the same time, I got through those years with a lot of love and support from my family even though they had no idea what I had endured. And those were my childhood years. So if you can imagine elementary school, middle school, 
high school, even college, just doing my best to get through life. And unfortunately, as I mentioned earlier, it it, it consists of me wearing a few masks, masks to hide a lot of the pain and a lot of insecurities followed through decisions that were not wise, but I wanted to fill a void. And unfortunately, now that I reflect, I didn't even really know what void I was trying to fill. But I knew there was an emptiness. And so I'll fast forward now in terms of trying to fulfill voids. I was involved in a relationship with someone. And I always highlight this part of my story because as as I unfold more details, uh, I would hope to normalize this situation to what other women possibly experience. Mm -hmm. So I had a relationship with this individual. Uh, We were connected. We knew each other. And we had our moments where we would hang out and be intimate. And then I get to this point, as I mentioned earlier, you know, you grow up in the church, whether you get away from church or not. If you grow up in church and you know anything about like God and the Bible, like once you hear it, you hear it. And it's in your (laughs) mind and it's in your heart. And so I got to this point in my life where I thought, you know, this is not a healthy relationship and I got, I must sever the ties. So fortunately this mutual friend of family members and other friends, he he understood at least at that time in that moment, that was my understanding that there was an agreement of what I was saying, et cetera. And a respect that, wow, you know, she's uh, making a decision to get her life on track. And that's pretty much what that was all about. Well, let's fast forward a few, probably a few months where in between that conversation up into our next encounter, I would see this individual. We had, again, mutual friends and there was no animosity at all. It was, hey, how you doing? Good to see you. So I'll fast forward to the the, the heart of my story where the tides turn in an in a, in extreme way. So this individual was a, a physical, um, I say this, I'm sorry, not physical. This individual was a massage therapist. Mm. And that's another um, point of my story that I highlight because I feel like there are details that many would shun away from, but I feel like I've been given this interesting ability um, to be transparent and vulnerable in spite of what others would say in terms of being judgmental, because I feel like the judgment of others is um, very minimal when it compares to how my story and those details may relate to someone else. So I um, go make an appointment with this individual and I've had, I had, and I had appointments with him in the past of having a massage therapy session. And one thing that I'll never forget is I remember even referring my mom to him, you know? Mm -hmm. So when it came to like the professional side of him and the professional services, it was enough. um, There was a level of comfort where I say, mom, you should make an appointment. So this particular season of my life, I was working and I was working on a project and here are those memories that you can recall as if it were yesterday, working on the project, very stressed out. And I remember thinking, I need to go to the chiropractor or schedule an appointment for a massage. One of the two, because I've been working on this event. I am stressed out and I just need to relax and detox before the actual event. So I did place that call to someone who I thought was my friend. And I thought, let me make an appointment. You know, I haven't really talked to him in so quite in quite a while, but I know his profession. I know that I could schedule an appointment and I did schedule that appointment. This appointment from my perspective, started out fine, cordial, respectful, no subliminal message, if I might say, uh, very respectful and literally to the point of, you know, if anyone has ever had a massage therapy session, you know, the masseuse dismisses themselves, you know, so you can get comfortable, etc. And when he returned to the room, everything did start out normal. And suddenly the tides turn. And I remember sensing like that touch didn't feel comfortable. You know, we know the difference. Yeah. And I thought, that's not right. And I'm like, okay, well maybe, you know, I'm just kind of on edge or whatever, for whatever reason, just relax. And the next thing I know, I'm literally, there's an altercation. 
where I'm trying to defend myself and I'm literally asking the questions, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? Now you can imagine it it didn't come out that calmly, (laughs) but those were the things on my mind. Like, what is going on here? This has nothing to do with I'm feeling you, you feeling me, let's have a little rendezvous. I'm fighting right now. Like, am I really fighting this person off of me? And that altercation happened for quite some time. And, you know, he eventually, it was okay. You know, he kind of let up and I felt, yeah, the violation immediately. And... Mm. It was very eerie. It was an eerie, eerie feeling because I knew this person. I trusted this person. And intimacy, physical intimacy and intercourse is nothing like violation, like mm-hmm. rape, like sexual assault. There's, there's just no comparison. And as I say, even in my book, I was so distraught. And the only person there to comfort me was the person who violated me. And I remember he literally approached me or re-approached me as if, um, do you want to continue? And I'm looking in that second, like, and all I could think about is continue, like continue that you just, and I couldn't name it at that time, but I knew it. And I thought, what in the world? And Interesting enough, I could imagine he sensed that. And so his immediate was response his immediate response was with the massage. And here's where my mind shifted immediately. I literally played it through within seconds. Do I want to continue with the massage? If I continue with the massage, I can remember the massage, right? I can remember whatever I came here for. And I decided in that moment that I would continue and his continuation led to him trying to stroke and engage in sexual intimacy. And ladies, this time I did not fight. This time I laid there, I turned my head to the side and I made up in my mind, I'm not going to fight this time. I'm going to lay here And when this is over, I'm going to be okay. I'm talking to myself. I'm saying, Shantae, you've been through other things and other violations and you'll be okay. And in that moment, that became my truth. Allow this to happen, rename it, and you'll be okay. Mm -hmm. Act like it never happened and you'll be just fine. That's what I did. I walked out of that environment. And again, it was truly as if I were in a trance. I I believe this part is in my book where I felt like I was outside walking to my car and I know there were other cars around, but I couldn't hear anything literally like in a trance, like in zombie mode. Like I just needed to get to my car. I was very numb. Mm -hmm. As soon as I got in my car, I let it out. I'm bawling. I am wailing. I am crying. Like I cannot believe what just happened. At the same time, I approach my home. I get myself together. Dry those tears. You are okay. Hold your head up and you walk in your house. And you don't give a signal or a sign that something hard would just happen. I went home inside directly to the bathroom and I took a shower. I took that shower so I could feel clean. So I could in some way erase what had just taken place. So let's just go ahead and speed that story up. Over the next three, four weeks, I thought I was going to survive and live life as if it never happened. But I had moments and one of the, um, well, two turning points. One turning point was uh, when I was at work, I walked into the break room to get a cup of coffee and it hit me. 
I, out of nowhere, like I just literally freaked out, panic attack, full level anxiety. Like I felt like I was losing my mind. And I remember telling my supervisor, I have to quit. Like, I don't know what's going on with me. I'm going crazy. I can't take it anymore. Not letting, not informing her on anything. I just knew I was a mess and thankful for her. She's so sweet. She's like, well, I don't know what you're going through, but let's just take one day at a time, honey. So maybe you can work part time or I forget her exact words at work every other day. But she was so patient, having no idea what I was experiencing. She was so patient with me. And I felt like, okay, I I can agree to that. Well, soon, soon after that, I was very sick. I started experiencing those symptoms when you're pregnant. And I told my mom, so mom, I'm not feeling good. And she says, oh, you know, call the advice nurse, you know, because I'm I'm older at this time. I'm like 25. So she doesn't need to pull out a thermometer and take care of a baby. You know, she's oh, well, call the advice nurse and, you know, maybe you'll need to go schedule an appointment. But whatever you're not feeling, just call the nurse. Well, I called that advice nurse. And when I described my symptoms to her, she says, well, ma'am, you you either have the stomach flu or you're pregnant. Her next question took me back to that day. She said, when was the last time you had intercourse? And immediately I froze. I felt paralyzed because I went back to that day. And it was so faint, but she was saying, ma'am, ma'am, hello, hello. And I was somewhere else mentally. And all I could say very in a faint voice, but I told him no, but I told him no. That's, that was my response to her. She's saying, when was the last time you had sexual intercourse? And I'm taken back to the day that I was raped. And all I could say, I told him no. I told him no. Well, if you know anything about nurses, they are mandated reporters. So immediately, once she was able to catch what I was saying, she said, well, ma'am, I'm going to have to get a police officer on this phone. And everything at that moment was just a big blur happening so quickly. I could barely get a hold of myself emotionally. And within seconds, there's a police officer on the phone. And I'm doing my best to, you know, talk and respond. Next step is the police and the ambulance. They're at my home. So I have to, in that moment, tell my mom and my sister, I believe she was at home at the time, everything. Like there was no time to prepare on how I want to say it or am I sure I want to say it. It was a month ago this happened to me and, you know, the police have to come. The police are here now because of this. And from there, my my life took a turn that I would have never expected because that night I went to the hospital and they confirmed that I indeed, I was pregnant. Pregnant, pregnant, pregnant. I cried again. I cried hard. I cried, I cried, I cried. I made a decision that I was a mess, that I was damaged goods. I'm pregnant with 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 that person's baby and and it was disgusting. You know, let's just be real about it. Immediately, initially, I was disgusted. Yeah. I really was and I just didn't know how to really function. Oh gosh. <laughs> but I had to. I had to. At least that was my truth. I knew that I had to continue to function. And that pregnancy was life-changing, just as the sexual assault was. It, it meant that I had a decision to make. It meant that not only am I trying to heal from sexual trauma, um, I am talking to a psychologist, I'm meeting with a rape crisis counselor, I'm, I'm doing what I think I need to do to uh, heal from the sexual assault. And now I need to figure out what I'm going to do with this child growing inside of me. 
I wanted someone to tell me. I wanted someone to tell me what I needed to do. Do I raise this child? Do I have an abortion? What do I do? What, what do I do? And our Christian beliefs are, you know, that you, you don't have abortions. And even with that, I was like, ah, oh, this is crazy. This is hard. I am going to have an abortion. I don't think I can do this. I don't even know about all of this. It, it, you know, I, I wish I could say I'm pregnant because this guy and I were feeling each other and we just thought, you know what? Mm-hmm, let's get it on. And whether I regretted the act or not, at least I could go back to knowing why. But this was not that type of situation. And I, I wanted to have an abortion. I didn't want to deal with it. I felt like I didn't have to deal with it. I didn't ask for this. And I remember having that conversation with my family in the kitchen. And I said, you know, I was very thankful. They were very supportive. And I remember telling them I wanted to have an abortion. I've made my decision. I don't have to go through this and I'm going to have an abortion. And my family made it very clear that they would support me no matter what. They would always support me. And I truly appreciate them. And they know that. (laughs) And then here's the question from my dad. I am a daddy's girl. I'm the youngest of three. I'm the daddy's girl. And my dad said in the most loving and supportive way, and uh, I highlight this in my book, there was no judgment. To this day, I so appreciate his heart. He said, Shantae, I understand, or I can only imagine, you know, not that he understood it because he knew exactly how I felt, but he definitely understood that there was a weight that I was carrying. And he said, I, I, I just wonder, I just wonder, Shantae, if, just if you, you went through the pregnancy and perhaps the child could be adopted or maybe at that time you, you would want to raise the child. But I'm wondering, and here's what makes this conversation that I'm having today so special Because he said, I'm wondering, just in case there was some other young girl down the line, years to come, in a situation similar to yours, who truly felt hopeless. I'm just wondering if if you went through with this pregnancy and, you know, whether you decided the child would be adopted or if you raised the child on your own, I just wonder If you were able to do that, how could that also benefit someone else? If, if you're able to. And, you know, knowing my dad, there was no pressure with that question. It was so sincere. And I really believe he he was nudging me to think about my decision, process my decision. And I did. I took that opportunity to process my decision, to evaluate myself, I've always been a self-evaluator. So I thought it through a little bit more. And I thought, huh, yeah, all right. No, no, it's not going to be easy. And at the same time, there was something about my thought process that knew it would be possible. And the next step for me was to begin nurturing and acknowledging the child in my womb. A dear friend of mine said, just start by talking to the child as if the child's your friend, you know, just say, hi, I'm Shantae. And that's what I did, sitting in my car one day, touching my little bump. Hi, I'm Shantae. (laughs) And I just felt like, you know, I don't know what the future lies. You know, I don't know what's ahead for either one of us. But today I commit to be strong for you if you commit to be strong for me. So this child and I made a pact that day. Like we are going to be strong for each other. And that may sound crazy to some, but that, oh my goodness, that, that was a bond that anchored me more ways than I could ever have imagined. 
So through the course of that pregnancy, I knew that my mental state would deeply affect this child growing in my womb who I was connected to. And I made made up in my mind, especially as I got further into my own healing, healing from sexual trauma, connecting with um, God, I guess, on a more intimate level. I began talking to this child and loving this child in, in a way that I really didn't think was possible. But here's the key. I began to separate the child from the experience. Mm. And that's where the, this true, genuine, pure love began to develop. And I began to nurture her with everything that I had. Everything inside of me began to nurture her. And I knew um, that I had a job to do. So when I made a decision to allow her to be adopted, it was a sound decision. I knew in my heart, like the light bulb came on. She's going to be adopted. Now, early on, a very good friend of mine, she's like, she is my big sister. She did mention early on, hey, if you want this child to be adopted, will you consider my cousins? And I thought, yeah, 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 whatever. I heard her, but I wasn't hearing her. But she said it, so I I remembered what she said. So the day I knew it, I was at work, okay, (laughs) in a cubicle. And it was like, she's going to be adopted. The child is going to be adopted. So I pull out my cell phone and I text my friend. And I said, I made my decision. If your cousin is still interested, let them know that I want to, you know, give them this opportunity. And she's like, this is what I'm reading on my text message. I'm on the phone with her right now. And she said, yes, she said, yes, she said, yes. So I'm like, okay, she said, yes, here we go. So that was my journey with the adoption process. And I I must also acknowledge that even before, um, confirming with the family, I did see a um, social worker. I did meet with a social worker. I forgot to mention that because here's the deal. When you're trying to make a huge decision like that, you have to do your research. And I knew, okay, we all know what adoption is, but literally I'm like, what is adoption? What is it? What is it not? What What are the details? And I do remember sitting in her office feeling just so reckless, even so, even at that time. Um, and she showed me a binder full of families and pictures. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm overwhelmed. Like, I was so overwhelmed. Like, I'm, I'm just supposed to flip through this. OK, thank you. And that was kind of like my first, you know, taste, I guess, of what, you know, adoption is like. But I, I also knew that I didn't want to put the child, you know, like people say, like in the system. I did want to be as strategic as possible. And so. Fast forwarding the whole the story, this family um, met with me and I met with the husband and the wife and we connected immediately. It was the most beautiful connection and we felt like we had known one another for years. And as you could imagine, it was the wife and I, you know, like mom to mom, female to female. We developed a bond that, um, oh my goodness, it, it was just inseparable. And through the course of my pregnancy, we stayed um, involved with one another. I, you know, continued to give them updates on the good days and the bad days. And they were so loving and caring, even to the point of checking in with me in terms of how I was healing and dealing with my own sexual trauma. (sighs) So we had a plan. We had the birth plan. We knew what it was going to look like and what that day would be like. When I go into labor, y'all are going to be at that hospital and we're going to, you know, bless this beautiful baby and send her on her way. And then we're going to go from there. That was the plan. We knew early on that uh, we, we um, desired it to be an open adoption and that also made it a lot easier as we planned the birth, um, the birth day and what that would look like and how we would go about, um, you know, just that whole transition. Well, I went into premature labor, preterm labor. And this family, they were out <laughs> enjoying their anniversary. 
in another state. Okay. So I go for like this checkup. I was feeling, you know, I did feel very uncomfortable and I did go to the um, OBGYN and they sent me home, but they thought go right back tomorrow. So within that time frame, I had um, literally gone into preterm labor. So it wasn't anything that I could plan or prepare for. It was like, go to the hospital now. And I thought, oh, well, I was on my way to my brother's house to go hang out. And they're like, no, 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 you're you're in labor. Like, go now. And then I'm just oh, 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 like lost it. I was I was afraid, you know, that that was a big deal. But hey, had to be strong. So I, I had my little self over to that hospital. I called my family and I let them know, oh, my gosh, I'm, I'm about to go into labor. And at that time, honestly, that birth plan, it, it just, it, it dismissed my mind and I'm at the hospital and I give birth to this beautiful baby girl who was a preemie, but just the most beautiful little girl ever. And it was, if you can only imagine beautiful yet emotional and a little tense as well. I have family members who were very supportive either way. I also have family members who wanted to keep her within our family. So as the birth mom, I'm juggling everyone's emotions, including my own. And the fact that I still need to let this family know that the child is has been born. She was born early. So from my perspective, for the sake of peace, I did, in fact, contact the family to let them know that I had given birth and I asked them if they could patiently, patiently wait for her to be released from the hospital, from the um, intensive care nursery, so that the family could see her without anyone feeling the stress or the tension. And again, it, it was emotional for me. And I reassured, I'll never forget that conversation because it was tough for the adoptive mom to hear that. Could you please wait? Those were hard words for her to hear because she wasn't sure if I was going to change my mind. She just didn't know. And I remember saying, put your husband on the phone. And I talked to him and I said, I can only imagine the emotions she's going through right now. But would you please reassure her and remind her of every conversation that she and I have ever had? Everything still stands. I just need time. My family needs time, but nothing has changed. You know, this this is your baby. She's yours. So for... I want to say it was about 10 days that she was in the intensive care nursery. And within those 10 days, the hospital ward, they all knew my story. And there was so much support from the nurses. They actually allowed me to have an extended stay in a special maternity ward. And they just thought, and here's one of the main reasons, because she was a preemie, I pumped milk for her. I didn't want to nurse her because I knew that attachment wasn't something I wanted to experience. But I did pump for her because we wanted her to have those rich nutrients. Yeah. And that it made it a lot easier to be there, you know, in the hospital. And that allowed me to also visit with her. And here's another level of um, just such a precious experience because those visits with her allowed me to hold her, to sing to her, talk to her about her new family, let her know how much I loved her and pray over her and just have those final moments. And honestly, I didn't really think I needed that, but clearly I see now how beneficial it was. And again, I don't sugarcoat how emotional it was. So it got to the point where my dad actually stepped in to be the one to correspond with the birth family. I gave them rights to correspond with the doctor so I could kind of step out of the picture mentally and emotionally. And physically, of course, I was there. And once I was discharged from the hospital, I would still continue to frequent um, the hospital ward while she was in intensive care nursery two days, two times a day, three times a day, taking the little sacks of milk 
um, sometimes, you know, feeding her um, and sometimes the nurse is feeding her. But the the whole point is I was able to um, love on her in a way I didn't think I either could love on her or in a way that I didn't know was would be necessary or as beneficial as it was. Well, once she was released, my my dad was the one who met the family at the hospital and literally passed on their baby girl. Like, here you go, mom and dad. Um, that was not something that I was ready to do. And sure. I was OK saying, I love you all, but that part I, I can't do. So my dad um, was the one to um, hand this precious bundle of joy off to her new mommy and her daddy. And they obviously embraced her, oh my gosh, with so much love. So today, we fast forward years, years later. It is an open adoption. I have the most miraculous, beautiful, and amazing relationship with this family that to this day, we are all in awe of how things have unfolded. Um, We've left it up to the I say the baby, she's not a baby anymore, but we have left it up to her. Her parents have left it up to her to, in a sense, lead the way. So as she um, inquires and asks, you know, her questions, they give her answers. So to this day, bringing you up to speed, she um, she's very aware of me. You know, I am her birth friend and she receives Christmas gifts and birthday gifts from us. She's received them since day one. And um, my children know about her. My husband knows about her. My husband, I didn't even, gosh, he's like a knight in shining armor. He was in my life. We <laughs> were in a relationship before all this happened. Unfortunately, this took place while we were not together. And, but we always stayed in touch. And and when he knew of my situation, he he was there. I can't even, that's another story. That's another podcast, <laughs> but he was there. And, you know, he knows my story inside and out and stood there as um, just the, the most amazing um, supportive person. And, and so, you know, he knows everything obviously. And, um, but it's, it's beautiful because everyone knows everyone. We have yet to have a recent reunion. Again, those are, um, those are areas we leave up to her. Uh, but one beautiful reunion was my wedding day. Oh. Uh, her mom sang at my wedding. Her mom did my makeup for my wedding. And and I saw her. So I saw her at my wedding. Now, again, I said, can y'all come like a day or two early? <laughs> because I don't even want to have to like deal with unexpected emotions. Um, and they did. They did. They came in early. And able to just, you know, spend um, time with them outside of that wedding day. So and I, I, I highlight that because, again, it's such a beautiful relationship that we all look in. We are all in awe of how things have turned out and just, you know, hopeful to what is um, to what is to come. I also want to just reflect very quickly um, to kind of bring like reality to that whole process. Like there was a season when early in my marriage, before my husband and I had our children, where I did ask her mom not to send me any pictures because I was going through a phase of frustration. Mm -hmm. I was going through a phase where, oh, she kind of resembles him. Oh my God, she's cute little girl, but mm -mm, I don't want to see her face right now. And that wasn't from a harsh place. It was from a hurt place. And as beautiful as our story is, I also, I just don't want to not, you know, point out that there were seasons that were a little difficult. And then when I felt ready, I said, okay, I'm ready now. You can send pictures again. And even for my own, for our children, that was another level of how do you tell your kids? When do you tell your kids? And one thing I knew from day one is that their pictures, not that they're all around our home, but they would be in locations that were not hidden. So when my kids look through the wedding album or various albums, they would say like, who is that? Who are they? And I said, that's family. <laughs> that's family. And I'd leave it at that. And of course, when it all came together, I was able to refer back to those, you know, photos and say, you know, and then give them the full story. 
Wow. Uh, and what a full story it was. Um, that's just, oh my goodness, that's so much. But like watching you smile through that just shows, again, just shows that healing that you've been through. And I was taking some notes during your story because I just, I have some follow-up questions, but um, man, like just the way you're able to share that with so much healing and so much, you know, the word that kept coming to mind the whole time you were talking was just wisdom, wisdom on the part of you specifically, because I mean, I'm thinking like when I was 25, I was an idiot. And I can't imagine, I mean, having to grow up so quickly. And you hear that a lot from survivors of sexual trauma, just that it forces you to grow up. Um, Did you feel wise at the time or did you feel like you were just winging it? Because I, I just hearing your story, you made decision after decision after decision that was just wise. There's no other word for it. And it sounds like you might've gotten that from your dad because, oh my goodness, he sounds so wise. But (laughs) (laughs) in the moment, what did that feel like? Those decision-making processes? Heavy, very heavy. I did know that I processed the decisions. And I say that confidently because the backlash that I received from some people like rather you know extended family or friends you know people from church unfortunately oh my goodness it could have knocked me out cold if I let it and to know that I I've made a decision and oh my goodness I am receiving so much backlash but I've made a decision and that's how I saw it uh I knew, and yes, words from my dad, either route you take, there'll be pros and cons. You keep her, you raise her, you have an adoption, you, you have an, you know, abortion, either way, pros and cons, good days, bad days, can't get around that. So I knew that was coming with any decision I would make, but there was a sense of knowing what, how am I going to live the rest of my life with the decision that I make? And if, if I can't make it with all of my heart, then it's probably not the right decision. Uh, quick analogy, my dad, when we were in high school, can you imagine all the high school peer pressure? Oh and I gosh. just remember having so many stories and my dad would say, I know you can't see it now, but this is only four years of your entire life. And so I kept that analogy hidden in my heart. And as I got older, I tweaked it a little bit. So as a follower of Christ, I do believe when I die, I will go to heaven. So I tweak that analogy to say, hmm, whatever heartache I experience here on earth, I, I that's equivalent to those four years of high school. Whatever heartache it is, oh my goodness, it's gonna, it may be tough and emotionally frustrating, but it compares, it, there is nothing compared to like this beautiful eternity that I will experience in heaven. So if the rest of my days on this earth are literally like doom and gloom, which I highly doubt, but that was my exaggerated way of saying, you'll be okay. I'll be okay. And again, we, everyone has gifts and skills, but when I realized, Hey, Shantae, I think this is actually a gift of yours, you know, to truly be free in, in what you do and how you do it. Mind you, I have struggled with being a people pleaser for quite some time. So it speaks volume to me when I can make a decision and say, this is what I believe. This is what I am going to have to live with for the rest of my life. And I feel like it was that mindset that allowed me to process the why, you know, the who, what, where, when, and why, and come to a a decision and and run with it. Yeah. Ah, seriously, again, just what, what wisdom and another, another word that I wanted to touch on is, is shame. And you kind of alluded to that in a few different ways. Um, first of all, you, you have this unique perspective of wanting that child to have been like an out of wedlock love child. Um, which I mean, you're looking at between a rock and a hard place, but that's, that's an insane analogy that so many of us don't understand. Like we cannot put ourselves in those shoes. And I'm just, um, I don't know. It's 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 so crazy to think that if those are the two choices, which one yeah. would you choose? And never having mm-hmm. to be put in that position, why do you think you would have rather dealt with that shame versus 
what you had? Mm-hmm. Yep. That is such an excellent question. I had people in my life who had children out of wedlock and I saw how they, they made it. They made it work. They loved those kids and they enjoyed that process and maybe struggles, especially if, you know, they were a single parent, but I saw that they, they survived it. They got through it. And here's the, the, the deal. Perhaps there was a stigma, but I felt like at least their stigma isn't as bad as mine. So I'll take the stigma of, oh, she sinned. She slept with a man. She got pregnant. And, you know, I'll take that any day over. I'm scarred. I'm damaged because I was raped. And here's the deal. This guy didn't go to prison. And people knew he did not go to prison. And I did get to a point where I wanted to, um, I went from not wanting to report to I do want to report. And even so, he didn't go to prison. So there was shame, guilt. Now people really don't think I was raped because let's be honest. Oh, she says she's raped. Well, when did it happen? Oh, a month ago. Oh, I'm sure you are. Oh, yeah, I'm sure you were raped. Yeah, okay, that's what they all say. So I had all of that going on in my mind as well. The judgment of others. And even hearing people say, oh, I heard you were pregnant. So-and-so told me. And all I could think about is, did they tell you how? No, they just told me you were pregnant. And I'm like, well, they know how it happened. Why wouldn't they include those details? So I knew, I made a decision. It would be so, gosh, so much better to have gotten pregnant through a, oops, I did it again, versus my current situation. Yeah. Um, and just still, still taking a look at that word shame, you mentioned that you had to wear so many masks throughout your journey. Mm. Mm. Um, and just, if you're speaking to my listeners who have been through this or they've adopted children whose birth moms have been through this, if you had to put a a name to some of those masks, what would you say? Mm, Absolutely. Those masks, they definitely varied, probably depending on what situation I was in or what environment I was in. The mask I would wear, unfortunately, it wasn't deeply rooted, but I would put on the mask of confidence. And that mask was um, the same smile you see today, but behind that smile, hurt, shame, bitterness, so many voids. Another mask would be the beauty factor. So, you know, I love hair do's and makeup and cute fashion and all that, but I'm always um, interested in the root of a thing. So if I wore makeup at that time, it wasn't from a pure place. It was because I want to hide what I see in the mirror. So that makeup was literally a mask. I do not want to... Yes, if I take my makeup off, I physically see Shantae without makeup. But when I looked in the mirror, I saw the wounded, fragmented, broken Shantae. The other mask was, in in terms of my personality, I would try to be whoever I needed to be, whatever I needed to be, to fit in in various environments because I didn't want to be vulnerable. And here's another sad, heartbreaking Um, aspect of my story. And I feel like this is why I have such a passion for any, you know, woman who is trying to heal from something that does bring upon shame is I had to, in some ways, front that everything was okay because some of my church peeps wouldn't really accept me or love me if everything was not okay. Mm. And that's not an easy thing to say because sometimes people hear that and use that for everybody who goes to church. And clearly I'm not saying that I still go to church. I still love the Lord. My relationship with God is more intimate than it's ever been. But unfortunately those experiences at that time, and I don't even hold it against those individuals, you know, but at that time I felt like I need to try to appear like I'm okay for some people and wear that mask. Like I'm fine. I'm fine. Because if I didn't show that, I was fine. 
instead of receiving love, I would receive judgment. Wow. And that, I mean, just so powerful, all of it. Um, and being able to verbalize that again, you know, I said that at the beginning, just seeing the healing that you've been through just in these few moments Mm -hmm. we're able to spend together. Um, it's apparent to me and now it gets to be apparent to a lot of people because you wrote a whole book, which is so exciting. Um, tell us about that. Yes. My book is titled my lemonade recipe, turning life's sour experiences into something sweet. So creative. I love it. (laughs) As I mentioned earlier, I've been journaling since I was eight years old. And you can only imagine throughout that entire process, I journaled a lot. A lot of the content from my book consists of my journal entries. So the writing aspect was very normal and natural for me. But in terms of putting it in a form of a book, that was next level freedom. <laughs> I Years and years ago, I started a blog. It was anonymous. Like I was ready to tell my story, but I wasn't ready to reveal who was telling the story. <laughs> so I put it out there like, okay, that's step one. Uh, and then as time went by, again, I felt so um, compelled to be more vulnerable and transparent and help those individuals who are hiding in the dark Um, overwhelmed with shame, suffering in silence. And in between the blog and the book, I actually um, started a nonprofit to help women. But I realized that in itself can also limit your reach. So I thought it's time to write a book. Now, my first step was, oh, I'll just do a PDF and put the content out there and it's there. My friend was like, what? A PDF? No, your story is amazing. You need a book. And I thought, oh, everyone has a book, a book. But again, when I focused on the why, why would, why am I, why do I feel to write a book? You know, why? That why was because people need to hear that they're not alone, that they're not the only ones. They're not crazy. And they can have a second chance or another chance, a fifth chance at this beautiful thing we call life. And so the title actually came from a girl that I sat and had lunch with and I shared my story with her and her immediate response, your story sounds like the perfect lemonade recipe. (laughs) And I thought, oh my gosh, I love that. So as I began to continue writing, you know, the book and put it everything together, I knew, yeah, it really is because what is lemonade? Sour lemons. You eat them alone, your face gets all warped. (laughs) You know, those lemons are sour and you have to add some sweetness. And if you Google lemonade recipes, you you will find that there are various ways to make lemonade. Some people use straight up sugar. Others will use some Splenda and people add different ingredients. Some people love to infuse it with mint. And I realized I have some sour lemons what am I supposed to do with them? I'm tired of carrying around the bag of lemons. And then I look back over my life and I'm like, oh goodness, those lemons along with my ingredients. Because, you know, when we get through trauma and child, that strength still has to come from within us. So it was the sour lemons. It was my ingredients, my good, my bad, my ugly. And then here it is again, as a follower of Christ, a young lady who is so in love with Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. I'm like, all right, we need to have a conversation. Now I have these sour lemons. I may have a little <laughs> ingredients of my own, Whew, but it's time for you to add. You know, God, I need you to add some ingredients and, and do what you do best. Mix it up. And, and, and yes, that's what he did. I look at my story and even today, there are times where I'm like, did I really go through that? It's so real. But I realize I can look back and have joy because those sour lemons became sweet lemonade. Mm. Um, just like, wow. <laughs> I uh, am rarely speechless, but there are these moments where I'm just like, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to talk now. <laughs> Um, that was so amazing. (laughs) I, oh my goodness, you, 
you're just your story is impactful but i would just go even further to say you are impactful like just your your nature and your personality and the way that you present um I don't know the way that you present your story. I think that that makes all the difference. And you are evidence that healing is possible, especially through Jesus, which is just the greatest thing ever. And so yeah. I don't know, just thank you so much for sharing your story and talking to us about it. Um, and I have some closing questions that I always ask. Is that cool if we go ahead and get into those? Yes. Awesome. Absolutely. So what do you wish you had known at the very beginning of this journey? What do you wish someone had just sat you down and told you? shut out every negative person and shut them out now. <laughs> Just shut them out and, and do it with confidence. Oh, that, that's that good for anyone. a lot of stress. Yeah. <laughs> okay. What do you wish you had done differently? Oh my, that's a great question. Shared less information with people. Okay. I felt that I had to justify a lot during that time. Oh, man, that makes so much sense. mm -hmm. Because sometimes the information, unfortunately, backfired. And I thought, oh, I thought I could trust them. Or, oh, I thought that would be their response. I would have shared less information with certain individuals. Mm. And that's so hard for people. I mean, I'm a super transparent person too. And I know you've said that a couple of times and that's so hard because we want to share, we want to share, Mm -hmm. but we also want others to be responsible with what we've shared. And sometimes they're not, and that sucks. Mm -hmm. Okay. So my next question is, is twofold. I always ask, what is the best way and the worst way that you were supported through your journey? The best way was my family. They loved on me. Like, they just loved on me. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, my sister. She was awesome. It got to the point where she would listen to voicemails for me. And if she didn't think I needed to hear them, like if they weren't safe for me emotionally, she'd say, oh, you don't need to listen to that. Okay. And I would trust her. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Can your sister per- like make a business and provide that as a service for people? <laughs> I would hire her. I would take all of my money. Yes, I still need her now. But yeah, she's she's amazing. She, um, my family in general, and just that act that act of kindness from her was pretty amazing. And oh my, see the worst would be repeat the former because I I know you said the worst, but I want to pinpoint my answer and be as specific as possible. I was asked this just because there are so many people that think they're helping or they just, they want to help, but they, they miss it. And I think that those people, they want to know how to help. Um, Mm -hmm. and sometimes they just, they miss the mark. I feel, um, a lot of times you're right. When we help people, clearly we derive from our own experiences, which is not a bad thing, except wisdom must be infused Mm -hmm. because one statement that I heard, and I have a great relationship with this person. I have to say that, but uh, one thing they said is you are giving your child up for adoption. You might as well abort her. Mm -hmm. And I thought, wow, are those equal? <laughs> really? <laughs> Whoa. And, and that, that, that did pierce my heart. Cause I thought, wow, I really felt like, Hmm. <laughs> okay. So, you know, they, they may have thought they were helping me and perhaps in their mind, adoption is doom and gloom and nothing. And, you know, maybe they've had, maybe they've heard horror stories and they felt like, Ooh, you might as well have an abortion. Mm. And I thought, no, I might as well allow her to be adopted. And that's what I'm doing. But that did scar me for a little while. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, that, I'm, yeah. That makes sense. It was. Uh, misin- that's hard. Yeah. Absolutely. There was a lot of misinterpretation there. And again, I feel like it was probably just derived from their experiences where you don't love her. And I thought, mm, really? To me, this is actually a an ultimate sign of love. Yeah. I love her dearly. And I'm giving her from my perspective, 
a, a healthier life, a healthier environment. Yeah, those were tough statements to hear. Yeah. I mean, and, and what a, like, it's such a brave choice. And I think it's hard when others don't see it that way or when it's seen through the lens of, I could never do that. So I don't, it makes me uncomfortable to see someone else doing what I don't think I could do. Oh, but that's hard to work through, you know? Um, okay. The final question is if you just had one piece of advice or encouragement for just adoptive moms in the trenches, what would you say? Mm -hmm. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Initially, where I would address and maybe the adoptive mom who she's on that path and she just maybe hasn't found the perfect match yet. I would encourage her to remain hopeful as with my story, there is such thing um, as a perfect match. So remain hopeful that, you know, that child who is destined to be in your home and in your arms for you to be mommy, that day will come. And then for adoptive moms that are, you know, you have that child or those kids and maybe you have seasons, um, you know, from that birth mom's perspective, I would just encourage you to be mom the way you are to be mom, not to assume what this adoptive mom would want you, what the birth mom, I'm sorry, would want you to do or how you want her to, how um, they would want you to do it. And here's another little tidbit of info. Even if you did get a hint of what that birth mom wanted, good, bad, or indifferent, at the end of the day, you are mom. And so you love like the mom that you're called to be and you raise your beautiful children in the way that, you know, you're supposed to raise them and embrace that without, you know, regret or feeling pressure on what should be because of how you became mom. I, I, I would hope that would not um, be a barrier that you would love mom, love as mom. And that would be seamless. I am your mom and then it's seamless so love 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 without any um outside or external um pressure yeah oh my goodness just like good stuff so much good stuff I can't whew. it's gonna be hard to narrow down like one quote for this episode <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, guys, so Shantae and I are about to go have a fun conversation that's going to be exclusive for Patreon supporters. So if you want to join in on that one, head to patreon.com slash the adoptive mom. And of course, that link will be in the show notes. And also the link in the show notes for Shantae's book and all of her social media handles and all of that. You'll be able to find that at the adoptive mom podcast.com. But Thank you so much, Shantae, for sharing with us and hanging out with us today. My pleasure. I've truly enjoyed this time. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Adoptive Mom Podcast. I hope you found encouragement here. I need you to know that you are enough and you're doing a great job. We are all in this together and I am over here cheering you on. Don't forget to check out show notes for this episode and other resources at theadoptivemompodcast.com. Thanks for joining us.